When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got John Paul and Sadie taking the calls at 1850-333-103. But I want to go straight to the phone lines because I don't want to... Owen is on the line and I don't want to hold him uh, for too long. Owen is in Glanmire. Good morning to you, Owen. Good morning, Patricia. Well, I'm very well, but can I just start by offering my deepest, deepest sympathies to you and to your family on the passing of your your lovely mum, Kay, who I'm told passed away yesterday. Yeah. Had she been unwell, um, Owen, or, or was it sudden? It was sudden enough. We weren't expecting it. Um, you know, she was deteriorating um, a bit all right. Like, but yeah, it was sudden. So oh my goodness! Because she, she was in a nursing home, was she? She was for the yeah. last two years since my father passed away. Like you know? yeah, and that's been hard. Then with mm. when they went into lockdown, not being able to see her and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah very difficult. But the reason that you've contacted us is you're trying to make contact with your mum's brother, Paddy. Yeah, Paddy O'Donoghue. Paddy was formerly of. Um, uh, Passage West in Cork. He would be known as Paddy Blue. Okay. Paddy moved to North Cork a few years ago and we've lost touch with him and we had a number for him but the number is not connecting like so. We've no other way of contacting him and I know that if he finds out on a later date he'd be devastated like you know. And is Paddy your mother's only brother? Uh, only living brother. Only li- ah God bless. Yeah. Okay, so it's Paddy O'Donoghue, maybe as you say, still known as Paddy Blue. Do you yeah. do you know where in North Cork? I think it's the Canturk area. Canturk. I'm not a hundred percent sure, like you know. Okay, and when about three years ago, is it? Do you reckon he moved? Maybe more. Maybe more. Maybe more. It's, yeah. 
Maybe more. Okay, so you just want to get the message out and we have your contact details. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. So if pa- Paddy can, can contact us. Uh, and obviously a very sad and, and uh, a difficult few days because yeah. you can't have the normal funeral. No, it's um, it's a real eye opener, right? To be fair, like right, you know, when you realise now my mother might did contact uh, or didn't contact COVID nineteen or anything, but and we were lucky enough to get into the nursing home to see her. But I can just imagine people, you know, that aren't able to get into to see their parents, like when they die. You know, it's very hard. So that that brings that home, like really, like you know. And when when did you last see your mum? Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. Ah, God. Ah, God. God help her. And she, it was Kay uh, Hodder, uh, formerly uh, Kay uh, O'Donoghue, and people in Passage West might remember Kay as well, would they? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, when she rests in peace, um, Owen, and as I say, our deepest, deepest sympathies to you. It's a a tough, tough. difficult period that you have to go through. Listen, uh, hopefully we'll find, we'll track down Paddy for you. you look after Brilliant. yourself and the rest of the family, all right? Thank you very much. God bless. God bless. Uh, bye, bye, bye. Yeah, it's so, so sad, isn't it? It's, uh, thanks to Owen there in Glamour. So Paddy O'Donoghue, Paddy Blue. If you're listening to us, Paddy, uh, unfortunately, if you are listening to us, you've heard the sad news of the passing of your beautiful sister, uh, Kay. But uh, in case Paddy isn't listening to us, we're trying to, there might be somebody out there who knows who uh, Paddy is and just for us to try and make contact um, with him just so that we can pass on. And we've got Owen's number that we can pass the number. Uh, just just let the family uh, get together because obviously they're going to have a very small private family funeral. But don't you know, Paddy would want to be there. He'd want to be um, at his sister Kay's funeral. So Paddy, uh, Blue O'Donoghue, just if anybody, we're trying to get a message, we're trying to get in contact with him, please. Uh, if anybody knows, can you let us know? 1850 Give Sadio John Paul a call. Or if you even send me in a text or a WhatsApp here to 0862-103-103. And uh, we certainly will call uh, you back. Uh, OK, uh, towns and local regions face being locked down. Is that the way people want it to go? Is that the way nobody wants to move back to other phases of lockdown? Should we be looking at regional lockdowns? We know regional lockdowns are working in other countries. Is that what we want to see in this country? And I know the Taoiseach, uh, Micheál Martin, in a newspaper interview today with the Irish Independent, he reckons localised lockdowns he reckons may be introduced and it may be the way forward uh, rather than having a nationwide uh, quarantine and that will happen if this rate of infection continues to uh, rise. Now health officials are saying there's cause for serious concern. The reproductive rate now has gone to 1.8 which means every person who picks up COVID-19 will go on to infect almost two people and to think we had the R rate, we had the rate of infection down to wasn't it as low as 0.4 at one stage and we were celebrating ourselves and patting ourselves on the back and telling ourselves we were doing so well at that stage. How quickly how quickly things can uh, change. Yesterday the figures came out. Now there was five new deaths but really for yesterday there was one new death because four of those deaths were back from previous months. They just hadn't been recorded yet but the case numbers it's the ones now, the number we're all hanging on every day. That went up to 69 yesterday and O'Brien Fine Foods last night they suspended all processing operations. They have their plant at 
Tinahoe in County Kildare. 80 new cases were confirmed uh, there. Now, looking at this whole idea of having a regional lockdown, obviously the regions that have been spoken about, they are terrified of the notion of having a regional lockdown. I saw a quote from the County Kildare Chamber of Commerce. They say they're concerned if there was a lockdown in the region, the effect it would have on businesses, the effect it would have on workers and they're also now worried about children going back to school if they had a lockdown and they say they certainly don't want to go back to phase one. The Acting Chief Medical Officer Ronan Glynn said over the past 14 days there's been 226 cases have arisen in Kildare in Leash and in Offaly and when you look at the overall figures that represents half of all of the cases in Ireland were in that particular Midlands area of Kildare, Leash and uh, Offaly. He also went on to warn of cases of people working in restaurants and hotels He said, we've had a wide variety of family clusters and clusters amongst friends. And he said, when the transmission happens, it can be difficult to pinpoint exactly where it started. Dr. Glynn said they have not been able to identify if people have been picking up the viruses while out in businesses. He said restaurants, though, are where people come together. And he said, we've seen in other countries clusters associated with these kind of settings out in restaurants or out in pubs. And then obviously it was he was again asked about the reopening of of uh, pubs and he said if you just Google anything to do with COVID-19 and pubs you'll see he said you'll see numerous places right across the world where pubs have led to clusters and very large clusters of cases. He said that was part of the reason why the country didn't move to a phase four. And looking at though that meat plant that I mentioned, O'Brien's Fine Foods Facility in Timahoe in County Kildare, where the 80 cases were confirmed. It's interesting to look into how that case uh, came about and how that cluster came about. It seemed one employee presented with symptoms and then And that was several days ago. So that person went away and got tested. And when that person got tested, they then decided to do larger testing at the plant. So 243 tests were completed. Now, I don't know how many people work in the entire plant, if that is the entire plant. But out of the 243, 80 people were confirmed positive and none of them had symptoms. They were all at work. It was only one guy had symptoms but that then led to, okay, let's do a complete testing on this plant and look how many people had no symptoms who would have been out in the community and would have continued to go out into the community. So obviously they're all going uh, to now be isolated for the next 14 days. And you remember yesterday a number of people were asking, well, what are the cases for Cork? You know, when we're looking at these Midlands area where half of all the cases over the past Last 14 days have come out of Kildare, Leash and Offaly. What's been happening here in Cork? So I got the, you can get the county by county breakdown of numbers, but it just gives you the overall numbers of the number of people who've tested positive for COVID-19 since we started tracking the pandemic in this country. So right back since March. So if you look, for example, now this is up to the 2nd of August, so this is up to uh, the weekend just gone. We had in total in Cork 1,569 cases. Now, that does not mean the 1,569 people currently have COVID-19 in Cork. That's the number of people who have had it since, when did we start? Was it in March? We started looking at the figures and started identifying uh, people with who turned out to be COVID positive. So if you look back at the last two months 
for Cork. That takes a look. We can we can see them how many cases, how many people were testing positive, and try to work out how many people may still have COVID nineteen. You would assume that anyone who's tested in the last fourteen days positive that they still have the virus or are coming to the end of it. But if we go back to the seventh of June, we had one thousand five hundred and twenty nine cases. So fourteen. Seven days later then, there was four cases in that week. Go another week up to the 21st of June, there was two new cases in that week. Then from that, then the next seven days up to the 28th of June, that was the week where we had no new cases in Cork. Then up to the 5th of July, the first week in July, there was seven cases. Second week in July, we had six cases across that week. The 19th of July, across that week, we had nine cases And then a week later, we had six cases. And then the week up to August the 2nd, we had another six cases. So if you look back at the last 14 days, so the last week in July into August, there was 12 cases. And then obviously you could add, you could possibly add a few more cases from this week. As we know, Cork uh, did feature with very low numbers, like one and two cases each day. So probably at the very most, we would be looking at maybe 10, 15 cases of COVID-19 that you would say are active in Cork at the moment. But all of those people obviously are self-isolating and they're doing everything that they were told to do and the people they were in contact would have been contact traced. So yes, we can hand on heart say the figures are low in Cork, but that does not mean in any way that we need to get complacent and that we think just because all of the cases are in the Midlands, sure we're fine and dandy down here because as quick as the cases broke out in the Midlands, we could end up in this very same situation here. So we're just asking that question and, and looking for your thoughts on, do you think regional lockdowns are the way way to go? And obviously it's probably easier for us at the moment to be saying, oh yeah, do the regional lockdown, lockdown at the Midlands because it's not going to affect us. It would only affect us and that you wouldn't be able to travel to any of those Midland uh, areas. But would, be as, would we be as quick to say, yeah, let's have a regional lockdown if we were looking at those figures for say, Cork City and County and then we would be going to a lockdown that would put us back maybe back as far as phase one. Your thoughts uh, welcomed on that this morning 1850-333-103 Already a listener Anne is saying Patricia this virus has not gone away. The whole country needs to be put back to where we were in phase two where we were not allowed to travel beyond 20 kilometres of our home. There is way too many people travelling between counties. We will pay for this relaxation in a few weeks' time. Anne says, I've personally witnessed holidaymakers here in West Cork totally relaxing not taking the responsibility when it comes to hand hygiene, no social distancing going on and you can openly see people hugging each other. It's so disrespectful to local people. There is way too many holidaymakers in West Cork, particularly during a, a pandemic. And, you know, I'm slow to criticise the holidaymakers, Anne, that you're talking about while I take on board your concerns. But, you know, we've been told by everyone, including the people in Neffet, including Dr. Ronan Glynn and all of the other doctors who come out every day and they're saying to people, well, don't go out of the country, don't leave the country. What they're saying to people is staycation. So they're, you know, they're telling people and people in West Cork, businesses in West Cork that are relying on tourists are very welcoming of those very people that you're talking about from all different counties of Ireland. They're very welcoming of them because, you know, they're 
back up in business and they're trying to keep their businesses going. But that's not taking away from your concerns. And it is for anyone who is living in a tourist area, particularly people who are might be medically very vulnerable, are those people over the age of 70 who are really trying to look, look after themselves. They can get very nervous if they find themselves in a situation where there are a lot of people who are not from the area and they're fearful that people are going to bring COVID-19 into their area. I know, for example, in those three counties of Kildare, Leash and uh, Offaly, they were giving advice to people in though specifically in those areas and they were saying to people over the age of 70, you need to be extremely careful. I mean, they didn't quite go and say that people over the age of 70 in those three counties need to be cocooning, but they went close enough in saying, you know, limit where you're going, don't be in areas where there's a lot of people, avoid public transport and they were saying limit the number of people that you're meeting on a regular basis to as low as two. So they were almost saying to those people in those areas to uh, cocoon. So yes, I absolutely, if you're anyway medically vulnerable, I can understand uh, your concerns. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. We've had calls from Union Hall on water outages occurring in the last month. Some callers claim they have been left without water eight times in the last month. They've contacted Irish Water and have, have reference numbers but nothing is ever done. Now we're on to Irish Water um, just to see if we can find out what is going on and what are the plans to sort out the ongoing water issues in Union Hall. That really is just not good enough in this day and age to be eight times without water in the past month. That really is uh, crazy. And here's a lovely text in. Where is it gone from Paula? Uh, Thank you, Paula, for sending this on to us. Paula says, could we please say a huge thank you to Dermot McCarthy from Bantier. He spotted a doll on the road and he stopped at my house, knocked on the door and said, hiya, does anybody own this doll? It turned out, says Paula, it was my four-year-old's doll. She's actually had it since she was one and she must have dropped it when we were out uh, walking. He went out of his way to go back up the road to get the doll for us. A very kind-hearted man. So well done, Dermot McCarthy from Bantier. That's a lovely, lovely uh, thing that you did. I mean, firstly, just to, you know, to even sort of to see the doll and say, oh, I'm just checking that house. Does anybody own it? Most people would just drive past and go, oh God, look, somebody's, somebody's lost their doll. And of course, it was left on the road. It could have got run over by a car and been absolutely destroyed. And you'd have a little girl in Paula's household, absolutely heartbroken. Her much loved doll that she'd obviously taken on the walk with her and lost along the route. So well done, Dermot McCarthy uh, from Bantier. A big thank you to you. 1850 333103. The ASTI, the country's largest secondary teachers trade union, reassured them that schools will reopen at the end of the month. But a policy on wearing face masks is urgently needed. Anne Pickett is the Cork-based president of the ASTI and Anne joins me. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning. Now, Anne, firstly, is it all systems go with schools? Are they all frantically getting ready for the reopening at this stage? Yes, there's an awful lot of hard work being done in schools at the moment. They're fixing furniture, they're counting the numbers of students that will fit into every classroom. Timetables are being made and it's a really, really hard work at the moment going on in schools for the principals and management involved. But your belief and your hope is that they will all reopen on time? I would expect so. 
Okay. Now we heard yesterday and that third level students will have to wear face masks if they can't stay two metres away from each other. What is the current recommendation for secondary schools? So there were guidelines, health guidelines issued in June that said face masks might not be necessary except in instances where students are practically sitting on top of each other. And the danger now is that that might be just taken as the obvious thing to do to kind of leave big classes in rooms and then get students to put on face masks in those rooms and otherwise that they wouldn't have to wear masks or face coverings. So our union has thought, well, a lot has changed since those recommendations were made up in June. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we know that face masks will have to be worn everywhere from next Monday, be it cinemas or shops. Um, so what we have done is we have written to the minister requesting that this health advice might be reviewed. And what, what's your gut instinct on this? Would you prefer if everybody was wearing a mask? Well, I think it would be safer. And I've had several phone calls from teachers and parents have also spoken to me um, where they really would feel safer. Teachers would feel safer and maybe students would all feel safer if masks were worn. And I think medical advice has suggested that there could be 80% reduction in transmission cases if masks were worn. And remember, they're being worn to protect other people. If anyone has it, it would prevent it being passed on in areas where there will be several hundreds of people next um, September. Have you looked to other countries, Anne, to see how they've dealt with the return to the classroom when it comes to the wearing of masks? Yeah, but I suppose a lot of countries are at the same stage as us in that they are just returning to school now and making plans now as well. China is one of the countries that returned first and they had very kind of strict policies in that every student had to wear a mask. They had temperature checks on the way in. If a student during the day was seen without a mask, they were giving a, given another one to put on. And also the only time they were really allowed to take off their mask was lunchtime. And when they were eating, there were even screens between each student. So mask wearing was seen as very important there. I think in Israel, they had a policy of mask wearing and it got very hot. And then the masks were taken off. And when they did, I think there was a double transmission rate at that point. Wow. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of science uh, behind uh, the wearing of masks, uh, for sure. But, OK, if we if they do go down the route and say, OK, all secondary school students must, must wear masks, yeah. will the students provide them themselves? Would that be your thinking on it? Well, I'm not sure. I know the department has provided a lot of funding for opening of schools, you know, for everything from sanitizers to cleaning. So maybe some of that funding could be used maybe for schools to have some masks. But I would also expect the students at this point to have their own masks and might prefer to wear their own rather than anything that they might be given. Yeah. And also it would save a lot of money. Um, but I suppose those masks would have to be safe and they would have to be washed reg- regularly as well. And with the guidelines, the ones that you have that were issued back back in June, does that say anything about teachers wearing a face mask or, or even a visor? Well, it said that teachers could wear them, but I know most teachers that I'm in contact with will choose to wear, be it a visor or a mask, because they obviously want to feel safe. Um, studies might have also suggested that they are more vulnerable, depending on their age. And a lot of students in school may not even know that they have symptoms they might not know that they're carrying a virus and maybe they could spread it like that. Um, so teachers will want to be extremely safe because after all as well, the students are now meant to be remaining in base classes where possible and the teachers will be moving from class to class 
Great. Previously, teachers had their own class and the classes came in. So if teachers are moving that much around schools to all different classes, they will have to be safe. Now, teachers will also try and maintain a two-metre distance where possible in classrooms. Are some of your members, Anne, nervous about returning to the classroom? Very. I mean, we have teachers who have been sick with cancer or teachers have been getting in touch with me with um, illnesses that aren't on the very high-risk list, such as diabetes or heart conditions, and they are very worried about returning because they would be in danger should um, a virus outbreak occur in the schools. Yeah, and I, and I take it as with every other industry, you will have members who will have ver- medically very vulnerable, maybe children or parents at home. Exactly. I've yeah. been contacted um, by several people in that position who have mother mothers-in-law and fathers, perhaps at home, that are over 80, that they look after. And they're not so much worried even about getting it themselves. It's they're really worried on. about carrying it home. And then yeah. I, I've heard from people who have partners who are pregnant or even somebody the other day who was talking to me with um, a small little baby. So everybody has certain issues and they obviously want to protect themselves, their families. But also teachers are very worried about students in front of them. They want all their students to be safe and there are vulnerable students too. And then as well, everybody will go out into the community. So the whole community has to be protected. Are you worried, Anne, that schools, well, please God, all schools will reopen at the end of the month. Are you worried that they could close again if COVID-19 cases rise? Yes, yes, of course I am. And when they open, we want them to remain open. So I suppose any measure that can be taken is welcome. And so there's a lot of work going into providing hand sanitizer in schools and trying to keep people apart. So I suppose a mask is just another little element of that jigsaw, but a very important one. So if we can get it right and try and keep schools open for the whole year if possible and try and prevent any outbreaks, um, then that would be the ideal situation. That's the goal. That is certainly the goal. And I know you wrote last week uh, to the Education Minister, Norma Foley, looking for this uh, review on public health advice. Have you heard anything back from her yet? Well, the letter has been acknowledged and I expect there are discussions going on at the moment, but we would expect that we would hear quite soon and people would know where we stand in relation to this issue. And we would certainly hope that our views are going to be considered positively. Okay, and finally, the government had promised the appointment of just over a thousand extra secondary school uh, teachers. Have you any idea on how that recruitment is going? Um, I, I think probably school principals at the moment are even working out who they will need in what subject areas or what they'll need for substitution if teachers get sick. I know there's concern that it might be difficult to find some teachers and it might in certain areas, but I think there's effort to consider, you know, um, maybe even teachers who are job sharing, teachers on career breaks. Um, You know, there are certainly plenty of teachers in schools who don't have full hours, and I would hope in the first instance that their hours could be topped up to give them extra work for the year. Um, So, you know, it, it might all work out, hopefully, and that we will have enough teachers per school. Okay. But again, there are issues like unequal pay, huge workloads that have to be addressed from previously. And if they were addressed, we might actually have more teachers in the country at the moment. Yeah, we might attract some of the ones that we lost to, to overseas. OK, and uh, we'll speak again. Listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. 
Thank you so much. Good morning bye-bye. to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Anne Pickett, who is the president of the Association of uh, Secondary Teachers of uh, Ireland. So still waiting on advice on whether masks will be worn in schools. I know on we put up on our Insta poll earlier, should secondary school students wear masks in the classroom? And I don't know if this is the final result or not that's in or it's, or it's still ongoing. 60% of people who voted on the Insta poll said yes. Yes, secondary school teachers should, secondary school students should wear masks and 40% are, it's the final results, thanks John Paul, 40% are saying uh, no, so slightly more in favour of wearing masks in the classroom uh, than uh, who are against it. It's just, it would be, I, I, I know myself when I wear the masks, it's to, to sit and have all day wearing the masks. Now, people will say, if you worked in a hospital, Patricia, you just have to suck it up and get used to it. That's what people have to do inside in ICUs and people who are caring for COVID-19 patients. It's going to be a hard ask, I think, on some of the students. But we await uh, the department is revising the advice around the wearing of face uh, coverings to be considered by the Department of Education, particularly when they came out and said that third level students who can't remain two metres apart must wear a mask. What's the difference between a student at third level and a student at second level? Certainly for the leaving certs and the, and the leaving certs in secondary school and the first years in college, there's only a couple of months age wise in the difference. 1850 Counties Kildare, Leash and Offaly. The surge in cases in the region is largely linked to outbreaks in food processing plants and to a lesser extent clusters in three direct provision centres. Senator Tim Lumbridge joins me because he feels that the HSA and Board BIA need to up their governance at these uh, factories and Senator Tim Lumbridge joins me. Good morning to you Tim. Morning Patricia. Uh, And and you're welcome. Now the first meat and poultry plant case was recorded on St Patrick's Day. By the beginning of July we had 1,115 cases at these plants why do you believe we're continuing to see so many of these clusters linked to meat and poultry plants? I think it's the one anomaly in the entire system. I think if you look what happened with public health regarding social distancing, um, the schools, what we did with the pubs, what we did with actual society itself has worked very well. The major anomaly in the system has been, unfortunately, the meat processing plants and only a certain percentage of them as well. I think there's a few things that have to be looked at here. Um, obviously, they're working in a very enclosed space. Um, I think the governance has to be looked at and how these actual issues could have happened on these sites continuously. Um, I think there's a real issue here for um, Borbia. I think that's probably what I'm kind of calling out this morning. Like Borbia are a government organisation that are very heavily funded. Um, they have extreme resources at their actual fingertips. They're involved in food safety. They're involved in origin green I believe there's a remit here for Borbia to be very much involved at a, at a much higher level than what they are at the moment regarding what's happening in these meat plants at the moment. Now, the, but the Health Protection Surveillance Centre produced detailed advice in response to the outbreaks. Um, and with measures, I'm told, they were almost as rigorous as those in a hospital setting. But they, it obviously isn't working. 
No, it doesn't. And if you take what's happening, and I have a compliment to Garishy Corner, they've done a fantastic job in policing both the restaurant trade, retail and everything else in a very, very courteous and kind way. They've shown great presence. And because of that, we have a really good regime in place in most places. But I think when you look what happens in the meat industry, I think, do we really need to actually have to send guards in there to make sure that the job of the HSA and Borbia is done appropriately? I think that would be a sad state. But it's nearly after coming to that at the moment, because I'm really concerned, in particular in the last three days, of the level of outbreaks in some meat plants um, throughout the actual country itself. Um, but, but Tim, in fairness, isn't the elephant in the room when we're talking about meat processing plants, the vulnerability of foreign workers, and it's been highlighted by the Migrant Rights uh, Centre. Um, uh, the, the Migrant Rights Centres are saying in the meat sector, 60% of migrant workers are in a lot of these plants. I mean, is, isn't that the concern? And then they're all living together. Yes, and I think the second point is the most important point. They are migrant workers, but they are also living together in these, you know. And I don't know the actual combination, but I do think that's where the issue is here. Like the governance factor from the actual factories itself, they must step up to know where their actual workforce is living, what conditions they're living in. And like, we have to make sure that they take control of the actual issue. They have totally failed in the last four and a half months. If anything, Meat Industry Ireland have done what they've done with the meat protest, saying there's no story here. I think there's a big story here. I think the story here is about one thing, workers' rights. One thing is workers' accommodation, where they're living, how they're living. And the other thing is what actual enforcements are really actually happening on the ground. Are the HSA involved permanently in plants? And are Borbia actively engaging in ensuring that the full safety authority, which they are, are actually delivering the quality that we required? I think there's a huge investigation required here because you've seen the actual unfortunate figures go up in the last three or four days. Because of that, we can't go to phase four. If anything, people are talking about going back to phase two. We have to control this. We've schools hopefully opening in the next three and a half weeks. Parents, teachers and society need that to happen. With the figures that are there at the moment, you would question whether we can actually move to that phase and have schools opening. So, yeah. and really we, we, had, we had clusters in nursing homes that unfortunately they attributed to uh, so many uh, deaths. But we got all of those clusters under control. Uh, and then we put in the regime, which I thought was the most sensible thing to do, of testing all of the workers inside in the nursing homes. And then if there was anyone tested positive, everybody in the nursing home would be tested. Could we not even look at something like that in meat plants to start doing regular testing? At the moment, I think they're testing temperatures going to most or all the meat plants. I think they need to do more than that. I think in many ways for society, to, for this four and a half million people on this island, we need to do more in these areas regarding natural testing, whether it's actually physically testing once a week or who's actually tested. These are the issues that the meat plants need to work with. But I do think the whole regime has been very sloppily managed. I think the whole issue has been unfortunately dealt with. And of all the issues, like nursing homes was a tragedy, how it was managed, but we came, we actually got there eventually. If anything, we've gone back with the meat plants. Like the meat plants issue two months ago was a massive issue. I think it's a sti- it, they controlled it to some degree. Now it's back as bold as ever. And I think because of that, the whole regime of who's involved has to change. Like Health and Safety Authority have to take a different approach. Borbia really have to get involved. And look, if all goes to all, do we have to get the guards involved? It's something we just have to start talking about because if we don't, 
we've seen how the positive impact that the guards have had on other other parts of society. We need to make sure we control the virus. And at the moment, the only black spot we really have is here in the meat plant sector. Are you in favour of uh, Midlands lockdown, of having a regional... You are? Yeah, totally. I think of all the areas that we're looking at, I think we have to watch the clusters. I think we have clusters in some meat plants and some residential home settings. Um, But I think the big issue here is that we have a cluster in particular in Kildare at the moment. I think that has to be looked at. I think the Offaly one has to be looked at as well. If you talk those two out of the actual percentages, we're actually not in a bad place. So do what? Uh, uh, do like Aberdeen uh, seven days, or do a, a fourteen day lockdown? I think a four. I think we're four. looking for everything it has to be fourteen day because it's a fourteen day incubation period. But I think that's the level that we have to go to because look, I'm a parent myself. The schools have to open. I think that's one of the big issues in society. We need to make sure that we're going to make sure that the education system's back up and running. And that's only three weeks away. And like that's a time ticking bomb that we have to make sure kids can go back to what they need to do, back to learning, back to their actual routines itself. We have unfortunately our our waiting lists for our care uh, for our health centres are doubling at the moment. We've huge issues with ca- cancer. I think if it comes to a small issue of locking down parts of the country for 14 days it's probably the best thing we need to do for the majority of people uh, Were you in favour did you agree with the decision not to open the pubs? I actually did in a very queer way even though my view is slightly different um, I think the pubs um, like my priority has always been the healthcare workers the schools then the pubs I think the issue with the pubs is that I think a lot of these pubs like it's unfair that they have to wait till the Tuesday to know whether they're opening on the next um, next weekend or not I think in the budget in three week, in eight weeks' time, uh, we need to put a long-term plan in place for a lot of these pubs that never get open. And that's a very hard thing to say, but I do think we're coming to the phase to have a continuous three-week phase drag you out isn't appropriate for these people and isn't appropriate for the, for the actual communities itself. Going forward, I don't know when these pubs are going to open. They might open for September. They might not open until next September, 12 months. I think there has to be a long-term scheme put in place so these publicans and their staff can have some assurance of how they can actually survive in these periods. The last three weeks are just extended for three weeks. just doesn't work for me. It just doesn't. OK. All right, uh, Tim, we leave it there. Listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning, Tim. That is uh, Fianna Gael, uh, Senator Tim Lambert. 1850 We've got John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Anybody help out Tim in Mallow who has contacted us. He's looking for help, please, to remove a bee's nest that is in his cavity wall. He doesn't want to harm them, but he's worried about them and he's worried that they'll end up getting into the house. So we're looking for a beekeeper, please, in the Mallow area. Normally, whenever we call out cases like this, we'll find a local beekeeper who will be only too happy to come along take the nest of bees away and get rid of them for Tim. So if anybody can help us please a beekeeper in the Mallow area and we can pass on your details or pass on Tim's details to you and uh, let the two E sort it out. So if anybody can help us with that. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls 1850 Lots of texts and WhatsApps coming in as well to 086 2103 This is Court Today. Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hit.
looking for a beekeeper for uh, Tim in Mallow who has discovered a hive of bees in a cavity of his house and that's prompted Noreen to contact us. She's got a problem with ants in her house. I'm looking for help, please. Any recommendations on how to stop ants coming into the house? I rem- God, we haven't covered ants on the programme in quite some time. I remember a number of years ago, we were always talking about a product called Nippon. And it was a liquid product. I'm sure it was Peter Dowdle was recommending it at the time. And you put a little piece of it onto like a piece of glass or a piece of shiny surface. It only needed a couple of drops. And you sort of put it somewhere near where the ants were entering your house or wherever you're trying to get rid of them. And the idea was that all it took was for one ant to walk across this Nippon product and then they bring it back into the nest. Now, that was many years ago. I don't know. It's amazing that I even remember the name of that product. But it was called Nippon. Don't know if it's still available. It was in hardware stores at the time. But certainly I remember we had great, great success for people when we were talking about it before. If anybody else has a recommendation for poor old Noreen, who has, and it's an awful awful thing to have ants because you, you feel as if the house is dirty dirty no matter how well you clean to see ants walking around the house not nice at all so if anybody can offer advice to Anne please um, to Noreen please about her ants 1850 333 now a lot of texts and calls into the programme let me take a look at some of them let's start at the whole notion and suggestion of a lockdown Patricia, Midlands lockdown. It's always all about the Midlands last night on RTE, all over the news, all over the programmes. Programs. For God's sake, Dublin have had the most cases of COVID-19. They had over 50% of all, and still do have over 50% of all of the cases since we, since we started counting the number of positive cases in this country. And there was never once talk about a lockdown in Dublin. Do people think cases were not going to rise when they opened up the country. There are very little deaths now, thankfully, compared to April and May. But people have to wash their hands, they have to sanitise, they have to wear masks. It's not going away, says John in Clonakilty. We have to learn to live with it. And he, John does make an interesting point. There, suddenly everybody's jumping on a lockdown for the three counties in the Midlands. And John is right, we've never, like what, what I think we anecdotally ourselves spoke about trying to put a ring of steel around Dublin and stop people coming out and don't let anybody in but I've never heard any mention you are right certainly on a national level I haven't heard any mention of a lockdown for Dublin why suddenly now are we jumping on the Midlands is what Jim in Clonakilty is saying thank you for that uh, Jim uh, somebody else says no regional lockdowns simply not the answer because of the way people are doing social distancing etc a total lockdown says this texture is just around the corner a few di- a few days ago here here in our part of West Cork I witnessed the most appalling scenes of people all over each other no social distancing and another thing, the masks seem to have eliminated social distancing and giving people a false sense of security. When you're in shops now, because people are wearing masks, I've noticed they're right up on top of one another while queuing at the till. And then we get dirty looks like, why are you people making us wait? Obviously, this person works in retail. So, yes, Patricia, the careless people are very much out there. They're all over the place. And as for face masks for teenagers in secondary school, well, that's an absolute joke. These same teenagers 
won't be wearing the face masks at the weekend or after school when they're all hanging out together at she beans and at house parties. So wise up people, says this texter who reckons a total lockdown, which is what we all dread, is just around the corner. Somebody else from West Cork is feeding people from Dublin are from out other countries should not be coming in. They should be closing down West Cork to visitors coming in, a kind of a mini lockdown in that uh, sense. Mike is thinking about sport. He says it's another area that needs to be reviewed where people are making physical contact with one another. He reckons we should not have gone back into team sports. It should have been held off until at least phase four. He's also of the opinion we'll be back to square one before we know it, which I think is everybody's dread. And then we've got some people reacting to Anne who suggested we should go back to where we were in phase two. Well, certainly the part of phase two where you weren't allowed to travel beyond 20 kilometres from your home. Martin says, is Anne gone mad? We can't go back to phase two. The country could not handle it. The government should be banning all teenagers grouping together and also keep all of the wet pubs closed. They also need to do something and ban house parties. My God, you should see how many people go into parties in Fermoy. For house parties, it's pure stupidity, says Martin in Formoy. And that's not just a problem for Formoy, Martin. I guarantee I could open the phone lines and there probably wouldn't be a town uh, or a part of the city where there are not house parties going on. And everybody knows about house parties going on and the number of people in it. How do you ban house parties? So house parties are people's private properties that don't know what kind of rules and laws we would need to put in place in order to to, to ban people having visitors because that's what a house party is. It's you're inviting visitors into your own home. So I don't know how we get around at that one. Are all factories and business places not doing tests regularly? If not, then they should be, says this texter. The, that's how you would stop the spread. And as for Anne at saying that people should not be allowed to travel over 20 kilometres. Some people have to travel that distance just to get to and from work. Is she going to pay those people to stay at home? And while in fairness, Dan, I think when she was saying go back to when we were only allowed, we were limited to travel below 20 kilometres. If you had to go outside the 20 kilometres for work, remember at the time you were allowed to do that? That's if your work was essential at the time. But I don't think she's saying that everyone would have to stay at home if they didn't work. But she thinks just limit the spread of people going around the country. She feels since we opened up the country and allowed people to move, that's what's been happening. We're seeing a spike in the figures. And someone else says, go back to phase one. Have a complete lockdown until it is completely eradicated from this country. People only have themselves to blame for the rise in the uh, figures. And a number of people then are, are going on that line that we need to lock ourselves down completely as an island nation. And that's the only way we're going to eradicate the virus or if not, then we just have to learn to live with it. And of course, people always compare us to New Zealand because we are a country of similar size and population-wise of similar size. And New Zealand have all but eradicated. They just have a tiny few cases. But life in New Zealand is very much back to normal. They have, you know, they're having concerts. They're having people, large numbers of people attending all of their various sporting events business community is open, the pubs are open, everybody's just, you know, life has returned to normal in New Zealand and Dan uh, says the big difference though between New Zealand and Ireland, Dan says they have 1,700 public health doctors 
for the same population base as us. And in this country, we only have 500. How do we expect to control the virus with such, with such little staff? And he sees that as a glaring difference between when people try to compare New Zealand to Ireland, they just on the public health doctors alone. And Jill says, hi Patricia, listening to your show and hearing some listeners adamant about all of the pubs staying closed. There's a need to stop assuming that everyone who goes to a pub gets drunk and that everyone who will go to a pub will ignore social distancing. Ours is a rural farming area and all we have is a small corner shop and the pub. We socialise at both places as the nearest town is 30 miles away. What harm is opening our pub? As now, lots of us never see a soul from one day to the next. The pub was the place we'd go for the bit of crack, a pint or even just a tea or a coffee. Rural areas cannot be compared with pubs anywhere else in the country. It's just a shame that some people don't get their brains in gear before they tell us what they think we will do, says uh, Jill. That's a really good point. And I think it's a point as well, Jill, that has been, rural Republicans have tried to articulate that point and say, look, we're very different. We would never have somebody falling around the place absolutely legless. We don't have large groups of people dancing on tables or all on top of each other on a Friday night. We might have 10 15 souls all all in here together and if we ask them to social distance they will social distance and they'll all know each other because they'll do it because they'll be keeping each other uh, safe as well so yeah you make a very very valid point thank you for your text uh, Jill Patricia says another texter Ireland needs to consider closing all of our borders to non-essential travel they need to eradicate this virus for us to have normality back in our lives at least until a cure or a vaccine is discovered this restriction of closing all the borders to non-essential travel could be the answer our daily lives and the economy are not going to recover while the virus is present so the government needs to react swiftly to eradicate it. The number of cases and deaths will continue to rise unless aggressive action is taken. And the one way to take that aggressive action is to absolutely lock down this island of uh, Ireland. Hi Patricia, I'm wondering because of the outbreaks in these meat processing plants, how safe would it be eating the meat and um, poultry? You know, I haven't read anywhere or seen anything that there's been any case that even from the meat plants where they've had large cases. I haven't heard anywhere where there was the meat was taken off the market. I mean, we have in the past, we've done enough interviews and enough stories in the past where meat had to be removed because it was contaminated, there was something wrong and, you know, people were told if you had it in your freezer, get rid of it and, and don't eat it. I've heard nothing at all to tell us that COVID-19 can be picked up by meat, by eating meat or anything that comes out of a plant like that or a vegetable plant or wherever it is where there has been an outbreak. So yeah, I would think you're perfectly safe uh, to go ahead and eat uh, whatever it is uh, you have. 1850 Please don't call out my name, but I know of somebody when there was an outbreak in a meat plant that didn't wear a mask in a shop 
are anywhere where, and there's five in the house where they, they live. He actually, this man that I'm talking about, thinks it's funny that my husband wears a mask when we're out. I've seen the man and his wife take a trolley into a local supermarket, never sanitised, no mask on. And I saw that only a few days ago. That'll change on Monday. It'll put manners on him when it becomes mandatory. Anyway, so I'm not surprised when I'm hearing what's going on when you see what what somebody like that man is doing out in public God only knows what's going on indoors they've got four young children as well well manners will certainly be put will be put on that man I can tell you because the wearing of face masks is mandatory from Monday 1850 333 103 and thank you to Mary in Rathcool for Noreen and her aunt problem problems Mary says I've always I used to always have ants I found vinegar the best to put vinegar around where the ants are coming in. Okay, thank you for that. That's Mary in Rathcool. Let's let's give that a try for knowing vinegar. And you sprinkle the vinegar around where the ants are, and they either either kills them off or they don't like it, and they head out, head out again. I don't know how it. What's the science behind it? But Mary in Rathcool says it works. And can I just remind you of something that we did at the top of the program? In case people are joining us late this morning, we are trying to get in contact with a gentleman by the name of Paddy O'Donoghue. He is originally from Passage West in Cork and he, in the last number of years, moved to the North Cork area. We think somewhere around the Canturk area uh, and and we were contacting him because sadly his uh, only sister that's left alive has uh, passed away and the family really wants to get the message and to talk to Paddy and to the, obviously there's a, there's, a, there's a private family funeral is going to take place but obviously for the dearly want to make contact with uh, Paddy he is known also as Paddy Blue Paddy Blue O'Donoghue somewhere in the North Cork area we think around the Canturk uh, area and the family unfortunately have lost contact with him over the last couple of years they had a phone number for him but unfortunately it's no longer in service so if that rings a bell with anyone if anybody thinks they know Paddy Blue O'Donoghue originally from Passage West living in North Cork possibly the Canturk area for the last maybe three to five years could you contact us please 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 C103 Jobs Community employment positions are available in the Blarney Whitechurch Inniscara and Kilcully areas while a school bus driver is required that's for the Bandon Kinsale area Childminder wanted in the Kilbrin Canturk area that's for a six-month-old baby and one school-going child. And the Fresh Fish Deli, that's in Skib, they are looking for a driver and a full and part-time production staff. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 103 Now restaurant owners have reacted with surprise and in some cases annoyance to the government's new guidelines that all bars and restaurants serving food should be closed by 11pm. Adrian Common, CEO of the Restaurants Association of Ireland uh, joins me. Good morning to you Adrian. Good morning. Uh, You're welcome. Did the announcement literally come like a bolt out of the blue or did you have any forewarning? We had no forewarning and it was a bolt out of the blue. Um, We were shocked by the announcement to, by by, by Nessus to the government that 
all premises must be cleared and, and customers off the premises from next Monday at 11, 11 p.m. going forward. And that is going to have a huge effect on the restaurant industry because, as you can imagine, on a Friday and a Saturday night, which is there two, the two nights of, week, of the week where you'll, you make, you make your money to pay your rent, to pay your suppliers, to pay your staff, to pay your taxes, to pay everything else. And the, the two sittings that usually would finish at um, 11.30 and people would be done off premises at 12 o'clock and will be reduced by an hour. And that's going to have a, dev- a huge effect on the running and the functioning of businesses and that makes them viable. So we've, we're now thought of um, a meeting with Taoiseach to explain the rationale around this because the following day or the following morning, the Minister for Health said that restaurants that know weren't contributing to the coronavirus cases um, popping up around the country. So on one hand, <clears throat> we get announcements like this that where our, our businesses are being affected wholeheartedly and, and, and then the following morning we're told we're, no, we're, not affected, we're not the cause of coronavirus. So I just, we were shocked and we uh, perplexed by it and what we want to do is, get, <coughs> is to get meeting <coughs> with uh, the T-shirt to, 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 to get an explanation to this. How much, how much, it's an hour of trading time, is it you reckon will be last? It is at least an hour of trading time. Well, technically, to be honest, that would be, we will be having a compromise at 12 o'clock. We can trade uh, under licensing laws until 1.30 in the morning. And that's in, that's, that's the, that's in the law. Uh, special restaurant license, licensed premises can trade until 1.30. But I can see what the Neffet are trying to do. They're trying to get people to not go to house parties. But now what will happen is everybody will go to house parties because if you're finished in a restaurant and you're out on the street at 11 o'clock, you're going to have people that are going to say, well, listen, the night is still a bit young here where we go back to a house for another drink, nightcap or whatever it is, where the nightcap could have been in the restaurant. And um, this is just, to me, it's not joined up thinking. Um we are going to, we are lobbying to get it changed. It is going to take about three weeks before Netflix will make another um, uh, another review uh, of it. Another yeah, review, yeah. review of it. So um, anyway, I I just think that you know this is going to have a huge effect right across the country. And Adrian, how are restaurants doing since they reopened? It's very, very tough out there. Uh, it is very tough, and businesses are finding it very, very difficult to keep their doors open. And this is another body blow to our industry. So, for example, you know, businesses, first of all, their capacity in a restaurant is down. That's the first, that, the yeah. first part. So you've and got less fair, tables, isn't it? Less tables. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we're getting on with it. And we, we, we take the points from effort, social distancing, and we're doing what we're asked to do, and we're doing it extremely well. Then um, this announcement on Tuesday is another indication that, you know, the unless we get support, support package into the future, we want to see 
50% of the workforce being laid off in September. And I don't say that lightly, and I'll give you the reason why I believe that up to 50% will be laid off, is that if the wage supplement scheme is being reduced by 42%, that means that the owner of the business gets 42% less coming in to subsidise the wages. So what does that owner do? Now their income is even dropped even further because of the push. Everybody has to be out on the street at 11 o'clock. So the owner is going to do a couple of things here. They're going to cut hours of staff or they're going to let go of staff. And I believe they'll let go up to 50% of the staff um, in their in their premises. They'll tighten up. They mightn't open on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And they'll probably open on a Thursday, Friday and Saturday and maybe do lunch on a Sunday and that's it. And that's the way the, the business model will be. And it is the survival of the fittest at the moment um, out there. And there's a lot of businesses that that want to stay open, can stay open, but I just feel that the government, they won't, they seem to be hell-bent against doing a sectoral package for hospitality. And what I mean a sectoral package is, the farmer's got a sectoral package of 50 million specifically for bee farmers, mm. which was around COVID. But the government won't do a sectoral package for hospitality. So the sectoral package should be a reduction in the VAT rate, maintaining the, the wage supplement scheme into, until next March. Next March is always in the start of the tourism season. And give us that amount of time to get our, see how our industry is going during the wintertime. Because it's going to be a long, hard, bleak winter for a lot of businesses across this country. And we've Unfortunately and sadly, already some restaurants never reopened. They made the decision even before the date came for restaurants to reopen. They realised it just wouldn't be financially viable. Listening to you this morning, Adrian, we could lose a lot more restaurants. You will lose a lot more restaurants, unfortunately, because the aid package isn't there. It's sufficient to keep them keep their doors open. What they need is <clears throat> the wage supplement scheme at a, at, a, at a race that keeps everybody on board until next year. In the budget in October, the need definitely needs to reduce the VAT rate to 5% in line with the UK. And they also need to have some sort of a stimulus package to get people to, uh, get people out, out and spending. And how do you do that? Well, you do that by what they did in the UK as well, which was uh, for every uh, £20 you spent in the UK, you got £10 back as a customer. And that's for the month of August. So what happens then is the built-up uh, cash reserve has been going on through the lean times until 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 next year. And that's what, unfortunately, we seem to be behind the cars all of the time in all of these business supports. And north of the border, they're flying. Belfast is flying uh, business-wise. All the business owners there in hospitality and restaurants and tourist services and, and, and hotels are saying they're doing fantastic business down here. We are struggling, extremely struggling. And the, what we want to do is, we're, we're a safe, first of all, we're a safe environment. People, the message has quite rightly said that, you know, you put in the protocols in place, you do it right, and you're a safe environment. And <clears throat> we want to encourage people to go out and spend. There's a lot of people that have money in their pockets, but they're afraid to go out. And, you know, there's a bit of scaremongering out there as well. That, you know, um, you know, we have cases, predominantly meat factories and direct provision centres, and uh, uh, we need to get that sorted and get a bid on it and get, you know, suppress the virus. 
that we can have some sort of resemblance of an economy, uh, and a retail economy, a hospitality economy that could pay for the health, the health sector going forward, because there's going to be an expensive bill during this for this winter. Uh, to keep our health service functioning properly. Yeah, it's, it's, you're saying what a lot of listeners are saying as well. You know, until we get a cure or a vaccine, we have to learn to live with this virus. We do, and you know, our industry has adapted. We're, we reduced our capacity, we put in all the protocols, we check temperatures, we sign in sheets, we have track and trace, we have all of the protocols in place for people when they come into into restaurants. And rightly so. And rightly so. And um, what I'm hoping for is that we can get a small bit of common sense here. And I'm, I call this out here, house parties. Everybody knows what's happening. There's people having house parties. There's no sanction for house parties. So what there is a raft of sanctions for business owners at the moment. And their, their business can be closed down straight away if they're found out. But there is no no sanctions for house parties, no major fines for people that, that organise them. <clears throat> they are putting the, the economy of this country, people's health at risk, and there is no sanction. And that is totally unfair. Actually, when you talk about sanctions, what, what do you say of some businesses, some pubs in particular, who seem to be, and we're hearing anecdotal evidence of it happening all over the country, who are opening as a, in adverted commas, gastropub, and they're not serving food, they're just serving drink. Are they ruining it for everybody else? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the word gastropub means food. It doesn't mean alcohol only. And I think, you know, that's that's just shocking in my uh, in my book, and it has to be called out. And if there is people out there that is abusing the, the rules and regulations, and everybody else, like the fact of the matter is, you know, Netflix has a lot of power. They can do a lot of things, and they can close an economy down. They did it, did it during the lockdown, and they can do it again. And you know, they've, they've shown that they've shown their ruthlessness now with our industry, where they can tell us. That you have every, every customer has to be out on the street at 11 o'clock, um, and even though the, the law states that you can serve alcohol or open the business until 1 30 in the morning. So they can supersede this, and they're doing it. And, you know, you just have to, you know, we want to do the right thing, and we obviously, obviously we have instructed all our members to abide by the ruling, and, and, and if the, gui- the guidance is. There is a, a directive given by <coughs> Nefford. You abide by it. Um, you know, you, people don't like it, but you have to abide by it. We will we will work in the background as a trade representative body to try and make changes. We're doing that. We've done it with the two metres down to the one metre. Uh, there has to be compromise at the end of the day. And I think in three weeks' time, I hope there will be a compromise in getting us open. Give us an extra hour uh, to allow our businesses be viable, and then uh, so that extra that we'll call it the nightcap after the, after your your dessert, which is you know that's where that's the third sitting on a Friday night or on a Saturday night. That's the difference between a, a business opened or closed. Yeah, and what about you know? Oh, people have been asked to staycation. Is is this going to put a lot of pressure on restaurants, particularly in tourist areas? 
Well, it's not just restaurants. Um, it's, it's, it's hotels as well, and it's, it's regional uh, tourist areas. Because <clears throat> as one journalist said to me on last Tuesday night, she had plans to travel down the country from Dublin for her station. And now she's thinking twice. She says, do I want to be told to go to bed and be tucked up by quarter past 11? Actually, oh, somebody's asking that question. If you're a resident in a hotel, can you stay on in the bar? No, you can't. You have to be gone by 11. You can have a drink in your room, but you can't have a... You know, sure, but you're, who goes away on holidays to have a drink in their room? Exactly. <laughs> and what, what, what I'm saying to you is, this is about compromise here, and this is about having common sense, and everybody everybody doing the right thing. But some people have ruined it for others. There's no point in... You have to ask because of, there are some businesses out there that has ruined it for everybody. Oh, and just very finally, Adrian, how did you feel about the decision not to open the, the so-called wet pubs? Oh, I've been very open and honest about this. Restaurants need pubs and pubs need restaurants. So if you go to a village or a town for a night out, take, for example, your couple and your group, group two, your, your, your close circle of friends, maybe six people, <coughs> uh, three couples, and you're going out for a Friday night, what happens? you book your taxi, you'll travel to your destination. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Destination, you probably will, will uh, you'll go to, you'll, you'll go to, let's take a normal, you know, pre-COVID, <clears throat> you would have, had a pre-drink in a local bar, uh, you would have gone m- one drink in a local bar, then you would go into the restaurant, have your meal, and then you would move from the restaurant to a final nightcap or a drink in a, in a, in a, in a, in a bar, and you go home after that. That's the normal. That's what mm. most people would do. Yeah. Um, and they'll be home at chosen time as whatever time. Uh, they'll be home at half twelve, one o'clock in the morning. It uh, depends on babysitters and all of that, that as well. 
But like that's what norm that's what normal people would do. Um and I just feel that and I do feel for the for we call it the wet pubs, pubs that don't serve food. I think the need that the, the medics don't want wet pubs open. And if this is going to be the case going forward, they have to be compensated fully. Uh, like if there were, if these if if this was the farming community, they would have a full compensation package for them. The wet pubs have to have a compensation package for their for their loss of earnings. Their their the, the government not allowing them to open. Um, I think rightly and uh, rightly they should get some sort of compensation package for that. Okay, and, and I know I was we would fully support. It. I know I was only reading earlier that the major drink suppliers are going to join with the bars in, in the fight to reopen, and they're even considered taking it legal legal action over the government's refusal to allow them uh, to trade. We'll follow that one with interest. Adrian, we leave it there. Listen, I appreciate you Thank taking you. time out to talk to us. Thank you for that. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. That is uh, Adrian Cummins, who is the CEO of the Restaurants Association of Ireland, with their shock and dismay of the announcement that was made last week, as in from Monday. If you're heading out to a restaurant, you must be off the premises by 11 o'clock. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. Get ready for greatest hits from Blondie. Uh, it was uh, very wonderful to hear that sound again. Elton John. I honestly don't know how you did it. Bonnie Tyler. Yeah, as long as you have it done properly with a dermatologist. And Danny O'Donoghue from The Script. Ever since the first day we had dinner, we've just been the best of friends. Playing Cork's greatest hits while you work. Nick Richards. Weekdays from 1. C103. Cork today. On C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Okay, um, listener, this is on when we were just talking about the restaurants as we were in Kinsale uh, yesterday. A group of three adults and five children. We ordered five Fanta orange drinks for the children's table and they were having four pizzas. And we, oh, and we also ordered four pizzas. We were in the same group, but obviously we, we had to be put at two separate tables. The three adults then ordered an alcoholic drink and we wanted one pizza at our table. We were told one pizza at the adult table was not enough that we would have to order two. We were all in the same group, so it was one bill was going to be paid. So we ended up being forced to order a total of five pizzas and eight drinks. And that said, we had to order at least one more pizza at our table staycation my backside it is rip off Ireland they're taking advantage of the whole ridiculous situation that you have to have food to be able to have an alcoholic drink and the waiter by the way had no masks mask or no gloves on it is ridiculous yeah I I can't understand why they forced you when you were having the extra pizzas obviously the children wanted to eat and this becomes a problem if you want to get the feds, the, the children fed during the day and you're going to eat late, later on so I can't understand when the, when you're one group and it's one bill why they would force the adults to say you would have to have two pizzas when you were having three pizzas over at the children's uh, table. I mean, that is just not making any sense at all to me. That's just rather annoying, actually, that it 
that a restaurant can actually do that to you. 1850-333-103. Now, after nearly five months, families with children and adults with disabilities can see light at the end of the tunnel with news that St. Joseph's Foundation in Charleville is planning to reduce resume services in the last week in August. Joining me, CEO Noreen Ryan. And in just a moment, I'll be talking with the outgoing chairman of St. Joseph's Foundation, Eamon McCarthy. But Noreen Ryan joins me first. Good morning to you, Noreen. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're welcome. Now, how different will the service look, Noreen, when you reopen? Um, Patricia, it will look very different. Um, we would we have to follow all public health guidelines and in, and try and ensure as 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 much as possible the safety of everybody that comes back to our service. So to do that, uh, we have to look at smaller numbers in groups. And I suppose really what I'd be saying is we're we're setting up a kind of a hub system. Um, which means that when people come into a group, they will stay in that group uh, and the same staff will work with them so that it protects that little group together. Yeah, it's a little bit like when they talk about the pods inside in the creches and the schools. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. okay. Same kind of a system. Um, there will be a lot of training required for our for our, our people when they come back because because the infection control piece is going to be very important. And the social distancing is going to be very important. So we need to do some work with every single person that comes back to us to to do some training with them and, and help them understand why this has to happen. Will that be hard with some of your service users, Noreen? Um, I, Patricia, you know, I'd say it possibly will. Um, but I suppose the other part of it is like that they are living with it to an extent at home. Um, and I know a lot of work would have been done at home with people because we have been doing some remote work with a lot of our people during the last number of months. Um, so we will just have to do it right, and to do that right, we will be bringing in smaller numbers to start off with. So we will do a phased introduction. And you're hoping to provide services closer to the service user's home. Yes. How are you getting on with that? Because obviously you've got to secure locations. Yes, and, and we've been working very heavily with the HSC on this. And we have secured a, a number of new locations uh, four new locations that will be near people's homes. And families are being contacted one by one to discuss this option with them. Um, and it would make things easier for them. And it would also support us in keeping our numbers smaller so that we can eventually get to a full resumption of service. However, I, I just need to say that will take a bit of time because the whole training element really needs to be handled very well and very clearly for everyone. Uh, to ensure their safety. So it okay. will be phased in. And now your residential units, they all stayed open uh, during all of all, all of the lockdown and you managed to keep all of your homes COVID free. You can be very proud of that. We did, Patricia. Uh, we, we did a lot of hard work and our staff, I must compliment all our staff because they took on board every single protocol and procedure that had to, had to be brought in. Um, and the result is that we are COVID free, thankfully. But you know what? COVID is still there. Yeah. And I suppose we need to keep that in mind. And while we want to try and get our services back up and running, we need to ensure safety is paramount. When you closed in March, Noreen, could you ever have predicted that you'd be closed for this long? Absolutely not, to be honest with you. It, it was like it was sudden for everybody, to be honest. But and I suppose we all thought, you know, maybe six to eight weeks, maybe, you know, eight to ten weeks. We never thought that it would go on this long. 
And then, of course, there was a lot of precautions, a lot of protocols, a lot of procedures that had to be brought in in relation to our residential homes, but also in relation to our staff in working from home and trying to keep as much services going as we could. So there was a lot of work involved in it. But we didn't think, and to be to be perfectly frank, we didn't think that we'd be still here at this point. I don't think I don't think anybody did. Anybody did. And, yeah. and, and you know, and I, I suppose there was a kind of an expectation maybe that, that services would just come back ordinarily as they were before, but they won't. And yeah. I think people need to be very clear that, that while we, we will be resuming, it will look very, very different. OK, you've got uh, Eamon McCarthy with you there, uh, Norn, if you could yes. put on Eamon. And thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Eamon McCarthy is the outgoing chairman of the Board of St. Joseph's Foundation. Good morning to you, Eamon. Hey, Patricia, how are you? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, do you accept it's been a very stressful time for both the service users and for their families? Oh, absolutely, Patricia. I, I don't think any of us ever have ever experienced anything like this, um, as, as you've both alluded to there, no one thought at the start that this, you know, we thought it was going to be kind of a short-term thing. We'd get over that hump and things would revert back to normal. There's a new normal post-COVID or with COVID, um, so everything has changed. Safety is paramount. I mean, it's absolutely paramount. But, like, I've been in, in the foundation a long time. We come across a lot of different challenges, but we've never had anything to, to rival the challenge that COVID has has landed us yeah. with. And please, please God, we never will again, says you. Um, and you met with the new Disability Minister, Anne Rabbit. We spoke with yeah. Michael Moynihan on the programme about it. Did you feel she listened to you? Do you feel she heard you, heard your concerns? I did, Patricia. It was my first time meeting Anne Rabbit. Um, it was all our first time meeting her. I was impressed with the level of listening. I mean, listening is a skill in itself and she listened to our concerns, our, as you alluded to there, the challenges for families, the challenges for the service users at home that find it very hard to get their head around why are they not going into to, to work, as they call it, on a Monday morning and meeting with their pals and meeting with the staff. Um, she she understand, understood the challenges we as an organisation are faced with trying to restore their services. Um you know, we all spoke about the fact that the government and our government agencies are, you know, giving out uh, packages for the restoration to the, of the country and the restoration of, you know, the all sorts of services. But disability, Anne Rabbit said it herself, disability always seems to come last for some peculiar reason. And she said... And quoting her words or paraphrasing her, she said, I am going to try my damnedest to make disability relevant and you know, to provide the funding that's required for the extra you know, the extra things that have to be put in place to restore the day services. Um, and she's going to make sure that her voice is relevant at government. OK, because there was that fear and that sense that, that these were the forgotten people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you fundraising, um, Eamon, I take it you've been hugely affected in the, your normal fundraising events. Completely changed. Yeah. As you can imagine, all our regular fundraising events stopped, um, had to stop. Everything is everything is just different. You know, we're working on ways of maybe doing things uh, through you know, Facebook and through social media and stuff like that and, and for pe- to be more innovative. Um, and if people have any ideas, 
um, that could help us in that regard. We're always open. We'd love to hear from him. Uh, <laughs> All right. Listen, we wish you the best of luck going forward, um, uh, Eamon. And um, well done. To you. I know you're stepping down as chairman. You've been a great chairman, so uh, that has to be acknowledged as well. But thank you both for taking time out to talk to us today. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to Bye you. Now. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, Noreen Ryan, CEO of St. Joseph's uh, Foundation in Charleville, along with the outgoing chairman, Eamon McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Court today. Court today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103. And we have John's telephone number has been on to us. He is looking to purchase a driver seat belt for a 1991 Toyota Corolla XL. It's a car that John is currently restoring and the current seatbelt is cracked. So he's looking to either buy a new one or if somebody has a car of the same age that maybe perhaps is going for scrap or is no longer in use and they could remove the seatbelt from the old car and put it into the one that John is restoring. Or if anybody knows where he can purchase a new one for it's for an old car though, a 1991 Toyota Corolla. That's John in McCroom. If anybody can help out John, please, will you contact us and we can can pass on your number. Now, lots of texts coming in. Firstly, on restaurants and restaurants having to close at 11 and that's coming in from next Monday. Tim and Yall says, what a silly decision to close restaurants uh, at 11. As your speaker, who was Adrian Cummins of the Restaurant Association of Ireland, says, it will just entice people at that time of the evening to go further afield, i.e. they'll go for get-togethers and they'll end up having house parties. Well done to whoever put that plan together, says uh, Tim in Yall. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the thinking behind it has got to do with scenes that have been witnessed all over the country of some, not all, of some gastropubs, not necessarily restaurants, but certainly gastropubs, pubs that were serving food are are managing to get around it by serving food, that there's been scenes witnessed as if it was like I saw one and I have to say it looked like it was a mini nightclub was going on last weekend. You would could not believe that because when I saw it first, when I saw the video clip, I said that's an old video clip and it turned out it wasn't. It was from last Friday or Saturday night and everybody out there, you know, there was, they were having a little bit of a disco. They were on the dance floor and there was no evidence of social distancing and everybody was having a jolly great time and there was no evidence of food and it was later on at night. I'm assuming people had had food and then the food was gone and they were all out having it was just like a pub. It was like a, a scene from a very busy, noisy bar. And I suppose Neffert have been hearing about that. The government have been hearing about that. And that's why I think they're trying to clamp down and say, you know, because a small cohort of people are doing it and because a small cohort are allowing it to happen, everyone's going to have to suffer and everyone's going to have to be out of restaurants by 11 o'clock. Some restaurants are saying it's not going to affect them because their last service, their last covers on their table is at 9 o'clock and the people at 9 would be gone by 11 anyway. But it is for restaurants. And I don't know if I'm right in saying in the more urban areas, in the city centres, that they often will have covers and starts, their kitchens are still open and they will be serving at half ten at night because they are by their licence allowed to open until half one but now that's been changed and they're all going to have to close at 11 instead. And then a couple of people reacting to our listener who says, you know, go out staycationing and put money back into the economy and was out in Kinsale, went into a restaurant, was ordering pizzas. It was three adults, five children, two separate tables, obviously a big group. They had the five children at once 
one table they got a soft drink and they ordered four pizzas for that table three adults then were at another table they were having an alcoholic beverage each but they just wanted to share one pizza between them and they were told no they'd have to have two pizzas at the adult table even though there was four pizzas at the children's table all coming out of one bill and this listener felt it was just a complete and utter rip off and taking advantage of what this listener says ridiculous situation where you in order to, you have to have food in order to have an alcoholic drink one person says you simply vote with your feet you never go back to that restaurant again and another says pity about that lady in Kinsale isn't it restaurants that are open and not pubs says uh, a listener. So a mixed reaction there. Uh, Angela said, some pubs are opening this weekend and they're getting food from other places. I think that's wrong. And that's that's happening all over the country. And then you feel for publicans, they're doing it to open. They want to open. They want to get back in business. And some pubs are saying, well, if we can get around it, we can. And when the restaurant stroke gastro pubs started to open. It was clearly stated at the time by the then Taoiseach Leo Varadkar that bars did not have to have a restaurant licence but once they were providing food inside in the bars they could open. So of course you're going to have publicans deciding to, well let's, uh, we want to open. We've been closed for many many months now and they wanted to get back into business. Jim says reacting to Jill. Jill had contacted us who was making the point about the difference between a small rural pub and the large pubs that you'll see in the more urban areas. And she was saying you can't compare like with like. And she was saying the area, very rural area where she lives, they have one local shop and they have one pub. The pub obviously is closed at the moment. And she said the pub is used where people will meet. They might have a drink. They might just go in and have a cup of coffee. They go for the crack. There might be a game of cards played, that kind of a setting. And it's all of the neighbours from around will meet up there. She said now with the pub closed, she said you mightn't see another single human being days on end because there's nowhere for them to go and she was making the point Jill was that why would you tire everyone with the you know why would you decide when you make a blanket ban on all wet pubs closing you know why would you not look at some of those smaller pubs and say okay let's have different rules for them than we will for the more the bigger the super pubs as, as they call they're, they're, so, they're called Jim is picking up on that and said I'd like to tell Jill about the pubs where I live first of all what Jill was talking about maybe went on years ago but in the town where I live people go to the pub they go in to get drunk and make complete fools of themselves keep the pubs closed and at least they will only make fools of themselves at home also Patricia we should not go back to phase one if everybody else just copped on we will be okay hopefully we will have a vaccine early next year or sooner and and then it will become like normal flu you just get your vaccine uh, once we have that vaccine people need to calm down and not to be getting ahead of themselves says Jim thank you Jim hi Patricia I'm sick to death of stubbornness and stupidity across all areas during this pandemic. There's an old lady who goes to our local church. She refuses to wear a mask. Now, she's old and perhaps she's got good reason, maybe health reasons for not wearing one. But she also refuses point blank to sanitise her hands going in and going out of the church. She doesn't walk too well. And because of that, she's constantly touching surfaces and walls for support. She's a very stubborn old lady and no one has the nerve to confront her. I'm now very tempted to have a go. Do you think I should? Politeness is one thing, but we're talking about people's life life, uh, here. Ooh, yeah, you'd be, yeah. Should you confront her? Let me think, let me think about this. A stubborn elderly person and we all know that you can get stubborn 
older people you can get stubborn young people as well but you can get some elderly people and maybe we'll all go down that route then we'll get to an age where we'll think well to hell we can say and do what we like now and no one's going to confront us and nobody's going to tell me what to do and I'm sure that's the thinking behind this elderly woman who won't hand sanitise her, her hands would I confront her you'd be very brave to confront her you could you and you don't have to you don't have to say politeness is one thing but we're talking about people's lives here you could do it in a polite way and maybe try to interact with her certainly on the hand sanitising and keep your two metres and have your mask on and, and all of that you can't force her to wear the mask even though it'll be interesting for Monday when she walks into a shop if she doesn't have a mask on will she be confronted buy it or, or, or not and if there's some issue that you can't wear a mask for breathing difficulties then you know you could suggest the face visor to to her but you'd be very brave to do it if you could do it in a nice polite way I don't know what kind of response you're going to get if she is as stubborn as you are describing her to be she may very well absolutely take the head off you and you might get nowhere but maybe it's worth a try maybe nobody else has explained to her the importance of hand sanitising even though she'd want to be living on Mars not to know we all need to be washing our hands and keeping our hands clean but maybe have a go but be prepared that she may turn on you she may not listen at all to anything that you may say and she may think that you're just being a nosy busy body but we'll see what other listeners feel should our listener here in a very polite nice mannerly way speak to this elderly lady who's inside in the church every day won't hand sanitise and because her walking isn't too good touching all of the surfaces which is then if she has the virus on her hand she's liable to pass it on to other people but I would more worry if she's that elderly and that unsteady on her feet she's at risk of picking up the virus herself if somebody else has gone in ahead of her and hasn't hand sanitised properly and is equally touching all of the surface she doesn't know anything she doesn't know what's on the surfaces she's actually touching so I'd be worried about her leaving the church and not hand sanitising your thoughts with words of advice for our listener there please should she confront this stubborn elderly lady inside in the church 1850 333103 John in Blackpool says hi Patricia Neffet advice to the government was not to go on summer recess but they ignored that advice I cannot understand that did Neffin advise that not to go I think I I remember one of them saying maybe a two week holiday was enough and not the six weeks anyway John reckons they did advise them not to go on summer recess but they went uh, anyway Mick says the danger Patricia this is on when the argument of why not open the rural pubs and leave the larger ones closed if you open rural pubs do you know what will happen says Mick People will travel from outside just to get a drink. They'll all head to the rural pub and then you could have a bit of a problem with those rural pubs instead. D- another listener says, Do, does any person over the age of 70 go to a ho- house party? No, they don't. Will you give us a break, please? We are minding ourselves since the start and all the focus seems to be on older people, even though I don't know, I think of late, the focus... The spotlight is definitely going on younger people for the spread of the virus. I don't think anybody's blaming older people for the spread of the virus. The only reason there has been a focus on older people is to protect older people. I don't think anyone's pointing the finger of blame on the spread of the virus uh, for sure. Uh, And you are right, older people have been great. And they have to be great because they have to protect themselves because they are the ones most at risk of ending up in a hospital if, God forbid, they pick up uh, COVID-19. And someone else says, bring in big fines, do it through legislation and then people might adhere to the guidelines. Hit them where it hurts. 
hit them in the pockets. And a final one here in this list of texts on COVID. I can't wear a mask, but I have a balaclava. I have the mouthpiece stitched together, so I'll be wearing that. Yeah, that'll be fine. It's any kind of a face covering. They don't specifically say a face mask. It's a face covering. That's why a visor will do as well. But a scarf will do, a balaclava will do. Yeah, you'll be absolutely fine with that. And Mary in Newmarket says, Hi Patricia, I heard the woman who was on about the ants in her house. You might ask your listeners when you're looking for a suggestion about the ants, if anyone has any suggestion on how to get rid of slugs. They're at my back door. Some nights there could be 10 or 20 of them. They're disgusting. Please, 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 can you help? I'm absolutely squirming at the idea. I, yeah. Slugs and worms are my big bugbear in the garden. I just can't. They, I'm, I'm actually, my stomach is clenched at the thought of walking out the back door and seeing a load of slugs. I would just be, yeah, I'm with you, Mary. I see the disgusting side of them. How could you get rid of slugs near your back door? One that I would think of that if we'd petered out along and they were in your garden and they were eating some of your plants would be a beer trap. And that's where you get, no. I can't do this because you end up with the slugs inside in the beer trap. You get like a container, like a plastic container and you put beer into it and they're attracted to the beer and according to Peter Dowdle they die a very happy death. But then you'll end up the next day and you will have a beer trap. You'll have your container with all with all the dead slugs in it and you'd have to well I certainly would have to have somebody else in the house to remove and get rid of the slugs and then fill up the beer trap again that's one suggestion if anybody else has a suggestion for poor old Mary in Newmarket with slugs at her back door uh, share your words of wisdom please 1850 333 103 text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie Castletown Bear Development Association They have their drive-in bingo that is on uh, tonight It's at the pier in Castletown Bear and it's got a half past eight uh, start Tim League Drive in Bingo. That's going to be held in the community sports field, but you've got to wait for that one because it's not happening until the 23rd of August, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Gates will open at 2 and tickets on the day will be priced at €10. And a reminder that Scruffy's Pet Shop in Dunmanway, they're still looking for volunteers to pose with their pets for their 2021 Naked Calendar. You can find out more by contacting Scruffy's on 085 875 7633. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 2103 103. Okay, here's some of your WhatsApps that have come in to us today. William and Fomoy, I think people just need to accept that this virus is here and there's not much that we can do about it. You either allow the country go back to some form of normality within reason and allow people to get on with their lives while wearing masks, keeping social distance, washing hands, good cough etiquette and all of that. People have bills to pay and they have families to look after. Do some want things locked down until we have a vaccine? I know of some people and they want another lockdown. They want us back to where we were on phase one. However, they don't have a mortgage, they're retired and they're getting their pension every week and they don't really understand the position that other people find themselves in. And I'm not, by the way, says William, hitting out at pensioners here on this one. It's important to note, you don't need to wear a mask when you're out in on the street. It's only when you're inside indoors or inside in any kind of a retail outlet. Another one is 
is you can stay close to people in your family when out in a public, says William. People are getting all of the rules and regulations mixed up. Thank you for that, um, William. Hi, Patricia. This is from Anne. I don't see anything wrong with the pubs selling alcohol only as long as they're sitting at the table and they're obeying the rules. It's a disgrace the way all those country pubs are being treated. It's the meat factories and the teenage house parties and the gangs, for example, who hang around our local parks that are causing the virus problems. I've walked into several of these groups by myself. One day, a young lad, he was only about 16, was so bad, he started asking me, do you want to jump off a cliff with me? Do you want to jump off a cliff with me? And the others that were with him were trying to stop him, harassing me. I answered him and said, oh, no, no, pet. I have a lot of things to do yet before I died. And then the others pulled him away from me. I think they should be allowing the pubs to open, says Anne, and you should be allowed to go into a park and without anybody harassing you uh, like that shame on that young guy and well done to the others uh, who realised that they were, he was getting how he was harassing you and pulled him off you if having this is another texture if having restaurants and pubs that serve food close by 11 o'clock if they feel the powers that be that it's that important why are they waiting until Monday to bring it in says this uh, texter Hi Patricia testing of staff has been suspended in nursing homes uh, at present and the restriction on children visiting has also been lifted mark my words it'll only be a matter of time before our elderly would be at risk again and I really really hope that you're wrong on that one they did a month of testing wasn't it in nursing homes that every week every single staff member was uh, tested there are as little or no thankfully COVID-19 in any of the nursing homes which is good news and I know visiting restrictions they're leaving children in but there's still very strict rules and regulations isn't there around the visiting there's no hugging of granny or anything uh, like that and and in fairness to the people that are in nursing homes they need to, to be able to see their families again and granny needs to be able to see the grandchildren and once it's all very controlled and everybody the hand hygiene and all of that hopefully hopefully you're wrong and that we won't go back I don't ever want to see anything like the cases that we saw in nursing homes and never ever want to see that again but should we should the the testing at the nursing homes the testing of staff should that remain in place I, I wonder 1850-333-103 This is on if you're in a hotel and you're a, re- a resident and Adrian Cummins of the Restaurant Association said you'd have to be out at the bar by 11 you could get a drink in your room but you couldn't get a drink in the bar Mary says that Patricia will you stop the lights My daughter and her partner were staying in a, he- a hotel in Kerry last weekend the bar was full she said till all hours and there was guests in there who had their friends in with them for drinks no questions were being asked. I'm assuming it was the residence lounge, was it? I'm sure they're not the only ones breaking the rule. Uh, love your programme. Says Mary, thank you for that, uh, Mary. I don't know how, how how much of that is going on in other hotels. But anyway, according to Mary's daughter, it happened in Kerry last weekend. Catherine says, oh, this is lovely. Catherine says, a friend of mine and I went to the square kitchen that's in Dumamwe where the cafe where this cafe opened its doors yesterday for the first time since the pandemic started under new management 
it was amazing said Catherine to get dressed up and head out for lunch and for someone to feed me as I'm a chef in the local hospital and I feed both people at home and at work it can be done and James and his staff showed us how it can be done they were just amazing the food was beautiful the staff were friendly all of them were wearing masks when they were at the table and the place was absolutely spotless any worries I had disappeared as I tucked into my gorgeous lunch. Well done and best of luck in the future. In the square kitchen in Dunmanway. Well done James and the rest of the staff. Now that's a fantastic recommendation to anybody in Dunmanway. Pop in and can we wish James and the staff the best of luck because it is, that's opening in He's got it's a new business for him because it's under new management. That's a tough thing to do in the middle of a pandemic. But by God, they seem to be doing everything right, as indeed are the vast majority of restaurants and cafes are doing everything right. And as long as we all continue to abide by the rules, we will get on and life will one day return to normal. But well done. And thank you, Catherine, for sharing that uh, with us. Uh, Patricia, the shoebox appeal going Will it go ahead this year? I don't know. I don't know. I'll check it out for you. I'll see if I can do some research over the weekend and find out. And in the meantime, if anyone, because we get a lot of people locally involved in the shoeboxes, you know the shoebox appeal where you fill up the shoeboxes. I love doing it every year. I always do it around sort of that October midterm. That's when it always goes into my head because usually the closing date for it is a couple of, usually the first week, first 10 days in November and you can drop it off and then it goes off to uh, children all over the world and I saw when I was in Belarus many years ago, I wasn't involved now with the shoebox appeal but I was in an orphanage that had got a delivery of shoeboxes previous year, the year before. Some of the children all they had left was the shoebox, you know, covered with the Christmas paper and they were so proud of it and they had little bits inside in it and they spoke about the joy, the day that the van came and delivered the shoeboxes to them. So I, I was very privileged and felt very privileged that I got to see the effect that I don't know where my shoebox has ever ended up over the years, but it was just lovely to see in action how they actually work and the effect that it can have on a little one inside in an orphanage. Anyway, I digress. So if anybody is involved with shoebox appeal, let us know if it is going to go ahead or not. I don't know with social distancing and all of that. I know there's a lot has to be done with the the packing and the unpacking, but I suppose a little bit like what they do with the charity shops, you know, the way they leave the items is it for 72 hours or something before they start going through the items that are in the charity bags and then they're steamed and cleaned and they're put out in the shops. Whether the same thing could be done with the shoeboxes or not, I don't know. The schools very much get involved in those. A lot of the schools are the collection points uh, for them. We'll see if we can find out if that's going ahead because, my God, won't it be needed more than ever this year to bring joy and light uh, to children who have absolutely nothing at uh, Christmas. Uh, John says, Patricia, I was out shopping this morning and I met my German neighbours. Guess what? Just back from Germany since Wednesday. This country is awash with rules and laws and there's nobody there to enforce them, says John. Isn't it a great little country? People are just so thick. Uh, COVID certainly is going to educate us all. And Germany are one of the countries that is on the red list. So that gentleman and returning from Germany should have been self-isolating, but obviously wasn't this morning, was out and about. And Maura was on to us earlier in the week uh, to say, I've corona on the, on the brain and I'm in the at-risk category, as is my husband. We've behaved, we've stayed at home and we've cocooned, but, but my husband had to go back to work this week. One of his workmates posting, Great weekend. I had in England with my friends. Isolated for two weeks. My ass. I'm sick of it. 
I've been listening to every every day and you have to keep me stay normal and safe. Uh, thanks for that, uh, more. Well, all your husband can do is just steer well clear of that person. Isn't that just shocking that somebody could come into work and boast about the fact that they've been away at the weekend while in their midst, somebody who has very medically very vulnerable. It's just, it's just, it's shameful. I hope your husband reported him and went to the boss and said, guess what? Johnny is just back from England and is boasting about the fact that he was away and isn't doing anything but self-isolating. And Margaret emailing Patricia at c103.ie. Patricia, will we ever again see a time when we'll just turn the key on the door and set out without doing a risk assessment on where we're going and how we'll cope when we get there? My heart goes out to anyone who's trying to run a business at this time. There are a lot of people who are flouting laws in this country and we are setting a trend that will become the norm. House parties are out of control, it seems, with the pubs remaining closed. The government should never have allowed one section to open and not the other within the drinks industry. This is now proven as the government have had to backtrack and are ordering restaurants to close at 11pm. Why didn't they stay with the original road map that was set down and then everyone has a fair chance? Because of the voices that those that shouted the loudest, they were listened to, Patricia. Now, my pet peeve is that older people who have self-isolated and cocooned are just being forgotten about. Those children and adults with special needs are also at the back of the queue. We're supposed to have a minister for older people and vulnerable people, but to be honest, Patricia, I haven't heard one word from her about any plans on how we can move forward. We were that special group, the elderly people at the start, that needed to be looked after. Children and adults with special needs are just that. They have needs and they are special. They really don't need a lot, but they do need their routines and their backups. They've been forgotten and they're being failed. Now we are the same people, but now it's almost like we've been told to fend for ourselves. We don't need clarification, Patricia, because it's crystal clear that there are people who will be left behind as we moved through this pandemic. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And somebody reacting to the guy with the Corolla car who is looking for the seat belt to fit to the new car. Uh, somebody says, to, uh, Paddy from Mitchell, thank you Paddy for putting your name in your text. Uh, tell a gentleman to try Shanahan's of Killavollen. They may be able to help him out. If not, try mixgarage.com, the website. They certainly should be able to help him out. Lots of people on about the lady with the slugs at her back door. Somebody says, shake lime from a farmer that they put out in the fields. That's from Kate. And then lots and lots and lots of people saying salt, a thick layer of salt. They won't crawl over it. Someone has even said if there's a lot of slugs, if you shake salt on top of them, they curl up and die and then you can shovel them up. Anyway, salt. Everyone's like salt is the answer uh, to it. Somebody wants to know, is the driving bingo going on in Mallow GAA this weekend? It is. And a quick shout out for our own Pauline Cotter down in Skull, the wonderful, lovely Pauline Cotter. I'm just being told Pauline is currently a patient at CUH. Sorry to hear that. Get well soon, Pauline. But she needs a favour. She's looking for somebody who may be travelling from Skull to Cork who could pick up an item for her in Skull and drop it to the door at CUH and we've all of Pauline's contact details. So somebody in the Skull area or somebody who will be travelling through Skull on your way up to the city, you have to pass CUH on the way. 
if you wouldn't mind diverting into CUH and drop this item into the door of the hospital for Pauline. Can anybody help us with that please? Give John Paul a call 1850 and we can pass on the details but get well wishes to Pauline. Mark Malone our movie reviewer joins us. Good afternoon to you Mark. Hi Patricia. And you've got two movies for us. The first is The Way Back and the second is a movie called Gretel and Hansel. Let's start with The Way Back though. This is described as a sports drama. It's about basketball. Yeah, and it's a kind of sports drama we've seen many times before where you had uh, a player who at one stage was at the top of his game. Uh, he then discovers alcohol and so therefore his career doesn't really quite go the way he would want to. So he leaves the game. And when we meet um, um, Ben Affleck, who here is the player in question, uh, he's now working in construction. He has an alcohol problem. We know this because the first 10 minutes of the film, he's just constantly drinking. And <laughs> it does get to a stage where you go, OK, guys, we know he's an alcoholic. We know what's going on here. There's no need to kind of hit it home as much as you do. And um, so he's down on his luck and he's down and he has no interest in the game uh, until uh, a priest from a local kind of Catholic school comes to him and says, come back to the old school again and come back as our basketball coach because the basketball team isn't particularly doing very well. So he comes back and he finds that, as usual, like we've seen before, many times before, uh, what was that Tom Hanks film a couple of years ago with Madonna? Do you remember that film? Was it League of the Rhone? Oh, yeah. Tom Hanks, yeah. Yeah, he too was an alcoholic and he then came back to help uh, the women um, become successful That's right. um, uh, players. Uh, there was a film called The Mighty Ducks, if you remember, with Amelia Estefan and some music. Yeah, he wasn't yeah. an alcoholic. But again, so again, this is a, this is an old story. It's uh, it's all been done uh, many times before. And so and here it is done again. He finds that uh, the team that he is meant to coach is the smallest basketball team in the country. So therefore, he's got to kind of find a way to use their speed uh, to try and win games. He finds that they, too, have kind of social and emotional problems, their problems at home. And then, of course, he becomes involved in that way as well. Uh, which I should be, and especially when it comes to one of the African American players, which African Americans absolutely hate. You know those movies where the white teacher <laughs> comes in to the kind of the urban areas and then changes the the kids' lives around, it saves the day. Of, yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's there's elements of that as well. So, um, but they're all at the point that kind of annoyed me, and there are a few. But in the main, actually, it's it's actually not that bad at all. If it was, if this film was a standalone film, of course, it would be terrific. But of course, all the time as I'm watching, I'm going, we've seen all this before. I presume Ben Affleck identified with the character here of Jack Cunningham because, uh, as we know, um, Ben has had problems with alcohol in the past, and so therefore I presume he's kind of, you know, uh, identifies uh, with this character. And um, and what's good about it, they don't sugarcoat his character at all. At no stage do they do that. He is not a very nice man. He's not a very nice character. Uh, but he has problems. And so therefore he then has to kind of try and... Um, kind of become a kind of a working alcoholic and kind of work around that whilst at the same time trying to make this mismatch of a, a basketball team successful. And it does it really, really quite well. It does help that it's got a terrific performance by Ben Affleck. I mean, he's very, very good in this. You know, in the past, he has been criticised for kind of sleepwalking his way through roles, but actually he doesn't here. It's obviously a role that's very, very important to him. It's directed by um, an Irish-American called Gavin O'Connor. Uh, who's worked with him before. Um, they made a, a film a couple of years ago, I think it was called The Accountant, uh, which was very, very good. And so the thing is, is that at no stage does this film try and kind of bring you a kind of a lighthearted kind of a look at uh, at his job and the way in which uh, he has to, and what he's got to do to try and make these young boys into something that's kind of special. And there's not necessarily a happy ending, for example. And I think that's good. And I think it's, 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 it, it works because it's of its kind of serious nature. There are 
you know, humorous parts. For example, he swears a lot, and it's a Catholic school, and the Catholic priest is uh, part of the coaching team. And every time he swears, he just looks down at the father and goes, apologies, sorry about that. So those moments are actually kind of sweet, but they're few and far between. There's not really a great deal of humor in it. I don't think you necessarily need to kind of love sport or, or, or basketball. It doesn't make any difference, I think. Um, it's a kind of a human film. And uh, and I have to say that Ben Affleck has done very well. I think there there are those who say that uh, he could be in line for an award here. Well, and it wouldn't surprise me. He's very, very good in it. Yeah, I love Ben Affleck. I, I always, when, when you mentioned that there was Catholic priests, they always have Irish names. It's uh, Father Mark Whelan and Father Edward Devine. Yeah, and I think most of the, the I think it's, a, it's like a Catholic league, and so most of the teams they play against all have kind of uh, Catholic uh, names. Actually, they, they were always playing against Saint Gerards or something, oh, yeah. and, and that's kind of interesting. So there is a kind of a, an Irish influence here, which is kind of interesting yeah. from our point of view. I thought I thought it was very good. You know, it has its problems. We've seen a lot of it before, as I say. But I was very entertained by it. And that is mainly, I think, down to Ben Affleck. I mean, well done, Ben. I mean, he does very well here. Is there much basketball movie. in it? There is, yeah. But again, you know, it's thrilling and exciting. It's very well directed. And um, and it's, it's pretty good. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Now, I'm, not, I'm not a huge basketball fan. Um, but that doesn't make any difference because this is a human story. And um, and it did very well. Unfortunately, it, 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 from, from a critical point of view, unfortunately, it opened the week basically when America went into lockdown and all the cinemas closed. So unfortunately, it didn't make any money. And uh, But it is available on VOD. It's a, a real pity. Mark, another 10? I'll give it 7. 7 out of 10. Actually, I ended up falling... I, I did play basketball in school, but I ended up getting a, a huge love of basketball at the start of the... I'm sure it's the start of the lockdown. The Michael Jordan, the Netflix movie about Michael Jordan. I've seen that it's a series on Netflix. Yeah. And I just fell completely in love with basketball. It's just it's well, thrilling to watch. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but maybe... Worth a watch. War, well yeah. worth a watch. OK, your second movie is Gretel and Hansel. And when I was in the office this morning with John Paul and he was giving me the the stuff for the movies I, I picked it up and said Gretel and Hansel why is it not Hansel and Gretel and there's a reason for that the reason is that the director and writers felt that uh, the story of Gretel is more important than, than the Hansel. story of Hansel <laughs> yeah, so. do they not have similar stories do they, did the same thing happen to both of them and well, no, not really, because and that's the thing. I mean, they decided, look, you know, Hansel, we won't really worry about. And in fact, the poor little boy is hardly in the film at all. Oh. But he's uh, he's there. But he's he's there, like you know, just standing in the background. It's it's, it's Gretel's story, really, that they decided uh, to concentrate on because they thought that she was much more interesting than poor little Hansel, you know. And so that's why they called it Gretel and Hansel. And the other thing, of course, is it's based on the grim fairy tales. But the thing is, is that those were German fairy tales. But what they decided here to do, they, they, this was made in Ireland, by the way. This was made a few years, a couple of years ago in Dublin. Oh. And so, even though there are some Irish cast members in the film, most of the main casts are. And for example, the witch here is played by a South African. Uh, the main female lead, Gretel, is played by an American. Uh, the little boy Hansel is uh, is an English boy, and they decided to give them Irish accents. Um, the problem is, is that they're not very good Irish accents. I suppose throughout the world, anybody else watching it, they won't really matter, and it, it won't matter to them. But I cringed <laughs> throughout the whole film every time because it's very Hollywood Irish. It just didn't really work. And on, on occasions, the uh, the accents drop. So the little girl, you do think, well, hang on a second, is she American or is she Irish? What is she meant to be? So that does kind of get confusing. So it, it, and, and they've changed the kind of storyline around ever so slightly so that, uh, you know, they, they, they have a very toxic kind of home life they decide to leave, as you know, they go into the um, into the forest and they see the witch's house, which is not made of candy here, by the way. It's actually made of very nice black slate, um, which I thought was a mistake. I mean, I thought they could have made that kind of scarier. I don't know why they did that, but, but they did. So they go in and, of course, there's food 
everywhere and they are starving and hungry. And The Witch, uh, played here by um, a South African lady by the name of Alice Creek. She is very, very good and has to be pointed out. Here what they've decided to do is change the story storyline kind of around ever so slightly where she decides to look upon Gretel as somebody she can manipulate and maybe turn herself into a kind of a mirror of herself and train her into becoming kind of a witch. And, um, and so that's just ever so slightly the kind of the slight turnaround in the story. The, the, the main criticism of the film is, is its pacing, and it is very, very slow. But I kind of liked that about it. I thought that was really good. The, one, the other issue that I had was that it looked as though the film had three different kind of cinematographers, because the film, scene by scene, looks completely different. It's lit differently. It looks differently. Some uh, scenes have a lot of color. Some don't. And I don't think that was particularly de- deliberate. I don't know why that was. It's a very cheap film. It only cost $5 million to make. Again, like uh, The Way Back, um, it it managed to release just before lockdown and made something like $20 million. So Ooh. it did quite well. So people did warm to it, but it's not perfect in any way. I think it's about 70% really, really good and interesting. Some amazing scenes. Um, the director does build up tension very, very well. Uh, there are a few jump scares. It's not particularly horrific. There are a couple of horrific scenes, but I think it's low budget does, it is exposed at times, and I think that's a bit of a shame. It's about 70% really good, 30% poor, and that 30% really kind of drags the, it, it, you know, down ever so slightly. Uh, the young woman here, Sophia Lillis, she was in the two It movies. It was driving me crazy the whole, throughout the whole film. I'm thinking, where have I seen this young woman before? She is really, really good and makes the film. So look, it's not particularly, her, uh, uh, as I say, um, uh, horrific. It's a PG-13, although I'd say 15 is probably Yeah, but it's, it's not pitched to children when you see Hansel and Gretel and Gretel and Hansel. Yeah. It's definitely not pitched to small children. Not in, no. not, not in any shape or form, yeah. Okay. I'm surprised that it was probably PG-13 because there is a particular scene, which is a bit nasty. Um, but other than that, I think it's kind of interesting. And the fact that it's, uh, you know, made here, I think, uh, you know, it's made around the Dublin area. I think uh, certainly for Dubliners, they might recognise, you know, some of the... The, the, the landmarks. The places. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I was entertained by it. At no stage was I bored. Uh, I watched okay. it as a teenager. She thought it was fabulous altogether. She thought it was terrific. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it's worth a look. Okay. So Gretel and Hansel. Mark it out of 10? I'll give it six. Six out of ten. OK, listen, have a lovely weekend and we'll talk you to too. you next week. Take care. That's Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Quick look at some of your texts coming in. Um, the lady who wants to confront the elderly woman who's going into the church not wearing a mask. She says she'll get over that one. But it's the fact she won't hand sanitise and she's a bit steady on her feet and she's touching off walls, etc. William uh, says, I'd say nothing unless you are a close family member. I was in a shop recently and the staff member told me they're not that annoyed about people who don't wear masks once they're in and out of the shop quickly but it's the do-gooders who confront others for not wearing them that is the problem and is making the day painful says William from Fomoy well from Monday we won't be having that problem because everybody in those shops will have to wear masks somebody else says long live the busy body and then another listener says absolutely yes confront her and get the priest to say to her that she won't be able to attend the church again and that she'll have to leave if she doesn't hand sanitise and explain to her that the guards will be called and she'll be fined I wouldn't have a problem confronting her. Age does not make you free to do what you are doing. But you don't want to frighten her either. But I suppose the point, if the priests get involved because 
if she's if she's elderly, she might have huge respect for the priest. And if the priest tells her that she needs to hand sanitise her, then maybe she will. And thank you to a lot of people who've explained about the shoebox appeal. Remember I mentioned the shoebox appeal and we're wondering what's happening uh, this year and was it going ahead? It's recently been announced, says a number of listeners, that it's going online this year. From September, you create a shoebox by donating €20 Euro to their website and they're going to do it online. We'll check into that and we'll see if we can get somebody on to explain more. Thank you for a lot of people pointing that out. 1850-333-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.